We've been doing a series on values and today I want to speak about servanthood as one of the values of this church and I believe it's a value that each believer should carry at some point and uh, it develops in you as you mature because most people who are immature like babies they just want to receive food but when someone grows up finally when you get the ultimate kind of maturity test you have a child to look after you hopefully married and then you get this child and the child demands you to be selfless and giving and committed and get up at all hours of the night and serve that child and the child just goes where where i want milk whatever and it, immaturity and maturity it's a journey it doesn't happen overnight and you move from being kind of self-focused and selfish to eventually being giving and outward focused and serving others and so maturity really is about living for the sake of others and immaturity is everything is about me you can have very immature thinking even in adults i mean you have a whole lot of the western world that has become so narcissistic and self-absorbed and it's actually a kind of a deep immaturity people aren't willing to make sacrifices and they think everything in life is to serve their comfort and their needs and their identity and everything revolves around them it's actually disgusting um, but yeah so servanthood it's a it's a big topic and um, i spoke about generosity as a value last week but serving is being generous with your time and your talents that's what serving is serving is a kind of generosity it's outward using your time your talents sometimes your money to help someone else to do good somewhere else so that's what we're going to look at this morning heavenly father as we turn to your word i ask that you would help me to share what's on your heart and that you would encourage us as a people to be more generous with ourselves in jesus name amen i was thinking about church you know sometimes it gets tired and old for some people it hasn't really for long seasons been like that in my life but when i was a teenager i was in a very boring church and it really did bore me it was like couldn't really see god at work there at all the sermons were dull the worship was awful it was like as a whole i was being the selfish person and thinking this isn't working for me and I got out of there when I had the opportunity to get out of there once I was free of my parents' kind of influence. What do you do when church is boring? When you're tired of hearing another sermon? When you actually don't see the point in it? I would suggest that that's actually how we are supposed to be as human beings. If all we do is think about consuming, of course we're going to get bored. Yeah. If it's just another sermon for you to listen to, then of course at some point you're going to think i've just heard this all before it's not it's not sparking life in me the way it should do you know what's missing what's missing is not a better sermon it's not a more engaging worship experience it's not smoke and lights we can buy it it won't change your heart what's missing is you are not serving See, when you start out and it's just you getting things from church, that, that's the beginning. But if you get to a point of boredom, it's because you're supposed to have become engaged in something of an opposite direction flow. 
You're supposed to be getting involved at some point. You're supposed to be saying, I want to invest my life into something. And this is not just the church. It's actually for every believer that at some point you should be thinking, where is my life supposed to be poured out? Yes. And that's where servanthood comes into it. And some people, when that revelation hits them, it comes as such a job that they get up and they leave their nation and go to another nation. Others, it's like, I'm going to start witnessing to my friends at school. I'm sick of being silent about my faith. Others, it's I'm going to find someone to care for because there's people with needs all around me. And instead of caring for myself, I'm going to care for someone else. It's a massive step towards maturity when you realize you should be involved in the life you're in. You shouldn't just be a passenger on the, on the ride. I'm totally away from my notes already. So I wanted to say, don't worry. I'm not going to be attempting to recruit you for washing dishes after tea and coffee. You can recruit yourself anytime. I'm not going to try to call you to help in the children's ministry. You can offer to help anytime. I'm not going to tell you you should be singing in the choir or, you know, packing out the chairs. You can look around and see what there is to do anytime. I, I don't need you to buy the milk. I can buy the milk. You could ask the question at some point, who buys the milk? Anytime. When you grow up. You get it? Like, don't try and take my job away though, I'm still going to buy the milk. I found something an introvert likes to do. Because there's some kinds of serving that are just too much in, with people and you know it's hard for me. I like to serve, but I had to find a place to serve. I had to look for it and I had to make that place for myself. And in a way, serving, I would tell you this, in this church for sure, serving doesn't begin with rosters. We don't create lists and start looking to fill places because serving starts not with rosters but with revelation. Yes. And that's always how I want to do church. See, when people feel like they don't belong, it's because you haven't given them something to do. So. Normally, the more you get involved with, the more you feel like this is mine, this is my church, this is where I belong. So if you start looking for things to do, like straighten the row of chairs you're sitting in before you sit down, because we don't have a hired chair straightener in this church. But some churches are very clever. They worked out that if you can get people involved, they feel like they have a reason to be there. And so they fill the stage with people. Malagasy churches have big choirs so that people don't leave because everyone wants a place to be useful and we don't do that because I think sometimes it becomes a bit of an act and a sham and often I hear the worst, the worst scandals, the most salacious stories I could tell you come from the affairs that happen between people in the choir. So we just don't even want to open that door with a big choir, especially not men and women. It's crazy, man, the stuff you hear about other churches. So just like, I'm making jokes now, but I'll tell you, there's like consequences to every decision you make in how you do church. Yeah. So we could multiply ministries to give everyone a purpose to serve. But I don't think that's good enough because I think some of your, your, your place to serve isn't necessarily on a Sunday in a church. It might be how you do your job tomorrow that God's called you to be the servant there. It might be how you build your marriage and how you treat your spouse that God's called you to be the servant there. And so I think when I talk about 
serving, I want you to understand it's not just looking to full functional needs in a church organization. It's much deeper than that. Yeah. It's how you see yourself as a Christian. So, servanthood begins in God Himself. This is my first point. As with generosity, servanthood is modeled in the very nature of God. Jesus is spoken about in Isaiah, in, by Isaiah, in Isaiah 42 verse 1. So Isaiah 42 verse 1, God the Father is declaring this of the Son. He says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. God the Father is declaring in hundreds of years before Jesus even came to earth, he's saying, Behold my servant whom I uphold, the prophet speaking about Jesus, the Son of God. And we know it's Jesus because all doubt is removed about who the servant is when Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, actually says, he writes, that the scripture was fulfilled in Jesus. So what we see in the Word of God is that the Son of God serves the Father. And Philippians explains it like this, if we look at Philippians 2 verse 5 to 8. Have this in mind, so it's Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, Philippians, Paul writes, Jesus, in the form of God, emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. He became a servant. So the Father sent the Son. The Son had a job to do for the Father. Salvation began in the heart of God. It was fulfilled by God completely. And to serve that agenda, the Son served the Father. That's why when the Father sent the Son, the Son didn't turn around and say, no, you go. Because there was this willingness not to hold on to his equality with God, but to say, I will actually do the will of the Father, and the Son submitted to the Father and became a servant. In John 5 verse 19, we read how this worked. Jesus himself says in John 5 verse 19, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So the Father is the initiator and the Son is actually serving the Father's will. In John 8 verse 28 and 29, John 8 verse 28 and 29 it says, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do things that are pleasing to Him. What a wonderful heart the Son displays towards the Father. He says, I do what pleases Him. I, 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 I'm not existing to be pleased. I'm existing to do what makes somebody else delighted. 
And we read also in John chapter 17, from verse 3 to verse 6, John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. See that phrase? The work that you gave me to do. So that's the Son of God, who is God. He has never become less than God. He's never been inferior to God. He is fully God. And yet he's saying, I work for you, to his Father. You gave me work to do. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So Jesus is saying, everything belonged to the Father. The Father entrusted me with a job. I did it well. Paraphrasing. Yours they were. You gave them to me. They've kept your word. It's been achieved. So we see the Son is serving the Father, and yet he's, he's eternally God. He didn't cease to be God when he became incarnate. And we see in John 15, verse 26... The Holy Spirit is also a serving being. The Holy Spirit serves the Father and the Son. In John 15 verse 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, so His very name, Helper, means He helps someone else other than Himself, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. So it's a, it's a wonderful parallel, like, let's say, cascading effect. When the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. What did Jesus say He was doing? He said earlier on, I have manifested Your name. That's what Jesus said to his father. He said, I came to do what you asked me to do. I've manifested your name because only in you is the eternal life. So Jesus came and revealed the father. Then the spirit comes and the spirit serves the son and the father because the spirit will bear witness about Jesus for the glory of God. So Jesus sends the spirit. So the Holy Spirit is serving the son and the father and the son is serving the father. It's a beautiful picture. So what I see in this when I understand the nature of the Trinity as each member of the Trinity is fully God, is that in no way can serving demean you. In no way can serving make you less. True serving doesn't make you less. Now I don't know who serves in your home as a domestic worker. But a servant isn't lesser. Yeah. This is how serving works in God's economy. Serving is serving. It's not demeaning or degrading. And so if you serve someone, you're never becoming less. That's right. So if I decide I'm going to serve my wife in some way, it doesn't take away from the fact that I'm the head of the home. It doesn't make me less masculine. To serve. It doesn't make me less of a leader to serve. If I come and I decide I'm going to serve voluntarily in this church, I might, might be the captain of the elders team, 
But it's not beneath me. It doesn't lessen me to do anything to serve. To serve the team that I lead, to serve as a leader, to put chairs straight, whatever the task is. Serving doesn't make you less. And that I learned because God himself has shown that he's a servant. He embraces this idea. And we see in my second point now, servanthood begins in the Trinity with the Son serving the Father and the Spirit serving the Son and the Father, but it extends from God to man. Not only does Jesus serve the Father, but in serving the Father, He came to serve us. Read Matthew 20 verse 20 with me. We're going to read a well-known and powerful passage of Scripture. From Matthew 20 verse 20 onwards. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your kingdom. Wow, mom, she's making way for her kids. She wants some honor for two of Jesus' disciples, some of the... Um, some of the more famous disciples and she sees that they definitely have his favor and they're used in his ministry and she thinks I can secure a place for them of honor. It's cultural, it's normal in the time to do this, to care for your kids and try and make sure they have a good future. And uh, Jesus answered her, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? And they said to him, we're able. So they're on board, eh? They, we'll go with you, Jesus. We'll serve you, but just put us at your right and left hand. Make us your top officials. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left hand, or at my left, at my right hand and at my left, is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. So Jesus sticks to his serving the Father and says, this decision belongs to God alone, to the Father. And they, when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers, of course. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So Jesus just makes a comment there about how the world works. This is how many leaders in Africa work. They're Gentiles. They're rulers, the rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, which means they're the big chief. I don't know, I, I wish I had some other languages to, to use the word, you know? The big guy. He's like sitting as the um, tyrannical dictator. In his mind, his authority is through entitlement because of his position, and in his mind, He's superior to the people they serve him, he doesn't serve them. That's the picture that's being put forward there. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So people put a, a big leader on a pedestal, and then they bow to that leader, and the leader drinks it in. Okay? That's the picture of worldly authority very often. Jesus then says this, it shall not be so among you. I don't care what your culture is. I don't care how you view authority. Jesus just says, this isn't how it's going to be among you. So don't think that within 
this team of disciples that these two, just by getting seats of honor, are going to be able to lord it over you. Even if they did get seats of honor, it wouldn't be in order to lord it over you. It's not going to be like this with you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And there, Jesus says, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God himself who came and laid down his life to save us. He sacrificed and served to the point of death for our benefit. Servant King, that's who we follow and that's how we follow. We follow with that view of serving that says that if you want to be great, then you become a servant. And you want to be the most amazing, then you actually make yourself the slave. And those are two different words. The first word says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. That's the word diaconus, from which we get the word deacon. And it means someone who runs errands like a waiter, someone who serves. It's a simple doing things of service. But Jesus repeats it, but changes the word. He says, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And that's a different word. That word is the word doulos, which actually literally means a slave. Involuntarily or voluntarily, it basically means somebody who is in subjugation, someone who is enslaved, who is bound, who is bonded to. And to me that's powerful because he moves from just the work of serving to the idea of who you are. The, the, the diaconos is the one who serves, but he is a doulos, he is somebody who is bound to this, he is actually identified himself as a servant. And that's why my sermon is about servanthood, not just serving. Because servanthood is different from serving. To say, I am a servant, is different to say, I serve. And we need to have the mentality that we are servants. I am in servanthood, I am a servant. Not just that I serve because, you know, I'm so good or so kind. That shows us Jesus fully understood leadership kingship as encompassing serving and he said we should likewise if we want to be great we should serve so thirdly we are called to servanthood in Galatians 5 verse 13 it says for you are called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the fulfillment of the law. And he says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in a love that is demonstrated in actions called serving. But attitude 
often determines actions. And the attitude is captured in that word, serve. And you might have thought that where Paul wrote, but through love serve one another, he would have chosen the word diakonos. But he didn't. He chose the word duluo, which I bet you now understand is related to the doulos word, which basically means slave. Fascinating. He says, do not use your freedom, so you're free, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, for yourself, but through love, be bound over to one another. Through love, be bound over to one another, meaning I am I'm enslaved to this, to serve, to love, to do good to my neighbor. The whole law is fulfilled in a love that is demonstrated through serving, but the attitude is I'm a servant. It's not just that I'm doing good to you from a place of superiority, but that I'm actually bound over to this. See, out of this view that you are a servant, in your very nature and identity, you realize that you're called to serve, and so out of that we minister and serve. And ministry for other reasons often results in burnout or disillusionment or frustration or hurt. But when you understand it is founded on the nature of God and you actually just choosing to serve, not for pay or not for recognition or not for glory, suddenly life actually flows into that service. So out of the view that you're a servant, it's your very nature and identity that you're called to serve, then you minister and serve from that place. 1 Peter 4 verse 8, I'm going to read to verse 11. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Did you notice whoever serves? Serve by the strength that God supplies. What a wonderful idea for serving. That you're not serving out of your own talent to show off your talent. You're serving out of your own weakness and God's strength to glorify God. So that means you can serve or not serve depending on whether you have the strength that God supplied. You don't have to come up with what you don't have. God supplies it, and if God doesn't supply it, you don't do it. What I'm saying out of this is it's not frenetic ministry to prove our piety. Yes. It's not just doing lots of stuff out of your own strength to show how holy you are, or how good you are. It's actually you saying, I'm nothing, but whatever I do, I'll do in the strength and the grace that God gives me. It's never going to lead to burnout. And I've lived on both sides of that equation. I went into a place of burnout when I served in a church years and years ago out of all kinds of passion for promotion and desire for recognition and wanting to prove my worth through my gifting and wanting God to use my talents to show how helpful they can be 
And in the end, I got very disappointed and frustrated and hurt by the leader of that church, and he probably didn't even know what was going on. It was all because my basis of serving was to serve out of my own talent or out of my own strength or for my own promotion, all under the banner of being spiritual. All in the church for the glory of God in theory. Isn't that amazing? How we can deceive ourselves. But this text says, let the one who serves serve by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified. So, who gets the glory? God. So if you serve and the leader or the person you serve doesn't even say thank you, who cares? You didn't serve in order to get thanks. You serve for the glory of God. God sees every act. You know that the picture of the church in Revelation is that the bride is clothed in robes of white and it says the white linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. In other words, if you're doing righteous deeds for the glory of God, you're actually beautifying the bride already. It doesn't go to waste even if no one said thank you to you. No one has to give you a place on the stage and give you honor. That's not why we serve. And so, as I've made three points now, I'm going to wrap up with some concluding ideas. There are different kinds of servants. One pastor once taught this great message, which I didn't take sufficient notes on. And he said, in an army, you have conscripts. So, you go to war, you could get conscripts, which are basically guys who are forced to fight, like Putin took conscripts in Russia, and then got into trouble for it with his own people. Conscripts are just when you demand people to go fight for you. There's another kind of soldier, mercenaries. Mercenaries are like paid professionals, and so once you professionalize an army, people are paid to go and fight. That's also happening. And then you get volunteers, more on the Ukraine side, I think. So, the volunteer is someone who says, I've seen something and I actually want in myself. I'm volunteering. And between those three ways in which you can live out your faith, you can live as a conscript, serving God because you feel forced to, doing things out of, like being bound to the law, or you could be a mercenary, a paid professional, that could be your mentality, I will do this if I get that. Or you could be a volunteer. The biblical picture of service is a volunteer. We choose voluntarily Christ to be our master. Jesus didn't force you, he just invited you to worship him, receive him as your Lord and Saviour. But when he becomes your master and your Lord and your King, what we discover is he's a good master. He's a, he's a master who takes care of us. He's a master that we gladly want to serve. And so we are actually bond slaves to him. We say, Jesus, we will belong to you. Punch my ear with your mark. Own me. Lay claim to me. You are my Lord. I am your servant. You could say as a Christian, you have volunteered for slavery. That's the biblical picture. We have volunteered for slavery. We've said, Jesus, be our master and our Lord, and we're going to serve you our whole life. And that's how it is. 
we were slaves to sin, sin was our master. A better master comes along and sets us free and we choose him and become his bond slaves. We become slaves to righteousness, bound over to do what is right, actually constrained to do what is right, called by God to do righteous things for his glory. But what this leads to is a life of ministry. The most glorious sense of meaning and purpose is found in that kind of a life. Where you say, I'm bound over to do what pleases God. You will never be fulfilled serving yourself. You will never be fulfilled, even if you've created your own spiritual agenda. If it's yours and for your glory, you will never be fulfilled. You will never be fulfilled serving yourself. You will find you are a lazy master or a tyrant master or a visionless master. But serving your own agenda will never satisfy you. But we can serve Christ and as we serve Him we can serve one another and as we serve one another we love those around us and this will lead to a sense of wholeness that you could never find any other way. So your meaning and purpose in serving comes out of your slavery to Christ. It says, Jesus, I'm your bond slave and I do what I do for you. As Jesus the Son did what He does for the Father. And when you find yourself in that place, when you do ministry of any form, it's, it, it doesn't matter in a sense if people applaud you. Because you're not running the race for their applause. You're not running the race to get a place on the stage. You're not running the race to get some glory in the eyes of man. You're not running the race in order for people to say how amazing your gift is. If no one even celebrates it, God sees it. You do it for Him. And when I changed the reason I served my pastor, when I first chapter of loving the church and wanting to serve in the church, I was serving for all kinds of wrong foundations. But after I burnt out and got hurt, once Jesus put the pieces back together, I said, Jesus, I still want to serve. But from now on, not to glorify man, not to put my pastor on a pedestal, not for me to live for his approval. But Jesus, I'll serve just as hard, just for you. And then in that framework, I served men, I served people, I served God's leaders, I served in any way I could. But for Jesus, it changed everything. My conclusion here is, there's no, there's no lack of opportunity. We don't have to create many ministries for you to find the heart to serve. You can find the heart to serve in God Himself and you can express it in a limitless number of ways. How do you build your marriage? Do you serve your spouse? Do you actually say, I want to make your life better? There's an opportunity to serve. Or you could just do a contractual division of labor. You could just have a, you know, Western, you know, marriage equals you do the dishes, I'll take care of the kid, uh, I'll make the food, you wash the, I, you hang the washing, but I'll, you know, buy the groceries. And you just split up your time and say it's going to be 50-50 and you have a contractual division of labor. Well, some marriages, that's okay. It works. It saves them from divorce. Because at least you're not constantly angry with the person for not carrying their load. But that falls so far short of the kind of service that God would like you to, to live in. It would be more like, I'll do whatever it takes. 
And the other person says, I'll do whatever it takes. No, I'll serve you. No, let me serve you. It's like much more beautiful, spontaneous, free. It changes how you minister in the body of Christ. Your, your serving view says, well, I could be doing what Martha's doing, all kinds of things out of maybe a false humility or a drivenness, waiting for feedback, or else it's just free. You bring your gift, you lay it at the feet of whomever. And so that's how these guys on stage are serving us. They, they're not being paid, and I'm not applauding them every Sunday, and they better not stop serving if I forget to say well done. Because they're taking their gift and they're freely just using it to bless us, to benefit us. That's serving from the right heart. And when they say, you know, I could come an extra Sunday, but then you have to pay me, that's the day that they've lost the plot. How do you treat your neighbor when someone living nearby needs help? You can serve. There's no limit to how you can serve. So I wanted to share that with you this morning. The band can come up if they're willing. <laughs> and, uh, and I would declare, we, we are a servant people. That's one of the values our church carries. But rather than making us nothing, it actually leads to greatness for the glory of God. When you serve others, rather than just costing you, it actually blesses you. Rather than making you less, it actually makes you greater. And this is what Jesus has taught us, and this is what the Word of God demonstrates. Won't you stand? And I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I am always astounded that there is nothing you ask us to do that you haven't been willing to do yourself. That you ask us to serve, but you first served us. Jesus, I think of the time that we read of how you washed your disciples' feet. What an act of humility to say that there's no grasping for greatness. And that's what makes you truly great, God. And I pray that as a people, we would be a people who serve others. Not as an act of grasping for greatness but that we would become great in bringing you glory, Lord God. Amen. It's